Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're listening to the Tour Coach Podcast, giving you insights into golf instruction at the highest level from on the PGA Tour to our learning center at Frederica Golf Club. All right, so this is the first on-location tour coach in a while. I've joined him. It's Justin Parsons. We're up here at Wells Fargo. And JP, it's been a while since somebody's forced me into having a drink and sit down and t- recording. But uh, So I appreciate you sitting in. I know you're busy. But you said something to me the other day. I don't know. It was a week or two ago we were sitting having a beer in Sea Island, and you made a comment. We were just BSing, and you said that there's a difference between knowing a lot about the golf swing and coaching golf. Mm-hmm. And so, like, a lot of the times when we talk or other people, you know, I'll think about it. But then as I'm driving on one of these trips that we have, you yeah. know, you, you start thinking and process it. And I thought, like, man, that was a pretty interesting comment. Let's talk about that. Because I think elaborating on that is in this day and age with social media and all that stuff, I think it's easier than ever for people to put out information that's correct or incorrect or whatever, but to have a lot of knowledge about the golf swing. Mm-hmm. But to your point... There's a big difference between knowing a lot of that stuff and being able to get people to perform better. Well, I think all all information, you know, at its root is both correct and incorrect. And listening to some of your stuff and some of the guys you've had on, you know, you can deliver. You must have been bored. I was driving. I was driving. But um, I was, uh, you know, that, that, that always interests me because, you know, you see people online, they put stuff up and, you know, that could be a great piece of information, but it could be a terrible piece of information and you you know you look at a lot of stuff and I think that comes back around in circle to the fact that golf is so individual in my opinion mm-hmm. it's such an individual sport you know teaching the guys that I teach having to tailor the instruction for the needs of the player you know and oftentimes trying to judge you know when to say things and, and furthermore when not to say things you know I spent the afternoon on the range with with Patton Kazar this afternoon and you know Patton is no, great, a great, great, great guy lad. you know Patton really doesn't like thinking too much about his golf swing mm. and you know he understands he needs to move the club in a, in a certain way but in trying to trying to teach Patton the golf swing or trying to teach Patton to play better golf you're really having to filter out a lot of the information that you're you know you might know yourself because you know if you deliver all of that information to him he's it's going to make him worse and I think with the better players, I think, you know, you and I have talked about the fact that the, a lot of the better players, they're, they're much more interested in shooting a low score, trying to have a great finish, get up the FedEx. They don't really want to know about their golf swings and the technicalities of golf. Some are slightly different. But for the most part, their main interest is to, is to get over the finishing line. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I'll tell you an interesting story. I told you along those lines about knowing when and to say something and not to say something. So... Lucas played really well last weekend, or first part of the week, then didn't play well on the weekend. And he had played pretty well the weeks before. And I had been saying subtly in texts here and there, like, only thing I ever see is clubs going a little too much in and around. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard, I told him today, to jump in there and change that when you finished fourth in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And so he didn't hit it good on the weekend, hit a couple squirrely shots that he didn't like. And he happened to stop to do a media day at Congaree for the event going on, and he's an ambassador there. And it, he went down and was hitting balls, and he they have a teacher build it, so he asked to be filmed. And John McNeely, long time, right, just said, hey, I'm not getting in the middle of this. Is, but, hey, man, like your shoulders are crazy closed. Right. And the club's getting way inside. And so 
he worked on that and he sent me a video and we talked and then him and I worked on the range and we had a fabulous session today. And I said to him, I was like, well, Lucas, you know, I mean, I've been hitting on it. And he's like, I know. And I was like, but when you finish fourth, I mean, it's hard for you to go right. Like, I mean, is that the time you jump in the next week and you go, you know, like I subtly tried to mention it and I was really hoping we'd get through Valspar with a better finish. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're third after two rounds, so you're like, well, I mean, I'm not right. going to tell him on Friday night, no. hey, change something. But don't you think that's one of the differences between, like, just putting a bunch of stuff out there about tilts and wrist angles and all that stuff? Like, I think that's the art of teaching, and you've been around the greatest. And Well, we, we have a saying in Ireland that uh, you've got to be flexible within a rigid framework and rigid within a flexible <laughs> framework. And really what we're dealing with, I suppose with some of the better players and, you know, and, and, you know, really everybody who's even listening to this, who's, you know, not at the PGA Tour level is that your, your, your golf swing and the way your golf swing's working is a pattern and it's moving in a fluid way. And you're always going to have changes that are going to occur to whether it's the way you slept or Lucas Amon a little too far right for, you know, two rounds of golf or the windy ball position goes back, things are changing awful lot. So the, it's fluid pattern management that we're in. We're just trying to we're trying to manage them into a point where the pattern is good, mm-hmm. and we know that the pattern's going to get screwed up within a week right. or two, any, anyway. So, you know, and I think that's you know, I always think to myself, you know, and I see see the Instagram things and the bits and pieces, and think, you know, maybe I'm missing some. Maybe it's like it should look better all the time. <laughs> well, at least you're, I'm not the for, only one. Then. I know, <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and, there, and there's some some guys doing great things, but then when I'm around, you know, when I'm around Louis, who's probably one of the more talented players I've ever seen and you know I see Rory struggling a little bit with with his golf swing and things I realize that you know this is a really really hard game and if we if we focus only on the mechanics of the game we invariably we make the game harder the game's chaotic enough without us trying to add more chaos to it so I think you know and my approach has always been to try and make the golf swing part the thing that they have to think least about because they're going to have to think about wind and pole locations and Invariably, they're going to start thinking about, you know, where they are in the tournament. They're going to have a lot of different distractions. And if I can limit the amount of distractions that they have, hopefully, you know, they're going to end up performing better. Yeah, I I agree. I think that's our job. And I said to you last night that, you know, I think my job as a teacher is to make my players, whether it's Lucas or Bill or Brandon or whoever, play better. Or it's high school kids I got a report on today that, Mm -hmm. you know, to make them play better. And I don't necessarily care if what i tell them wins the science fair no right you know science doesn't you know again going back to that i mean that's that's that whole idea behind like science does not come ahead of performance because performance is human and it's fluid so science is probably going to provide you with some sort of answer but the actual answer to what we're trying to do is you know did he shoot 18 under and win this week and that that could be i mean I was fortunate a week or two ago. Tyson Alexander won mm-hmm. on the on the contrary, which was fantastic. He's come a long way, by the and, way. You know, yeah. he's, you know, and, and, and part of you know what I was trying to break down with him was this you know idea that he was going to have a perfect golf swing and hit perfect shots. And I know this isn't going to sound correct to anyone, and I know that it's <laughs> going to sound here we right, go. But, but you know, on the on the during the tournament dur- during the tournament that he won, he was uh, he was hitting his iron shots a little bit to the right, and he said, you know, what I did was I just turned the face in a little bit and played all weekend with a face shot. He said, did I do the wrong thing? And I went, did you win the golf tournament? He said, yes. So the, the, the fact is that he was, he was managing his pattern in an adaptable, fluid way that allowed him to continue to perform. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say that, you know, 
a year ago, Tyson Alexander wouldn't have done that because he would have thought that was the wrong thing to do. He would have tried to figure out a fix, a perfect scientific fix in his golf swing. Now, do I want to get the face of the club a little square whenever he's finished that tournament and make sure that he doesn't mm-hmm. you know, mess around with his fundamentals, of course. But when it comes to performance, there's no right and wrong. It's right. just performance. And the only thing we ever get judged on is is what they shoot or, mm-hmm. or and the only thing they're judged on, right? And I think that that's important for any level of golfer, though. Like, a lot, you know, I, we have a lot of, interestingly enough, I get a lot of feedback. We have a lot of high school and college golfers listen to this. Mm-hmm. They must be bored, too, right? right? So They've got time. Uh, they've we, got yeah. time. I was doing other things in high school and college, <laughs> far more entertaining. Which, but, which is why you're teaching golf. Correct, correct. But I have a good time. So I think one of the ways I've tried to grow as a teacher is I used to think, man, like I'd have to make it perfect for them to play good. Mm-hmm. And I always had this compulsion to try to, I look at my earlier career, like when Bobby Wyatt was coming out of college and when I first started with Smiley and those things, and like there was this compulsion to like try to fix everything. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like I'm way more like, shit, they don't have to hit it that great. Like, you know, right? Like it's okay, they're gonna hit a bad shot. there's a lot of ways to score. I mean, and this is where, you know, some, some recent stuff that I've been fortunate enough to do with Brian Harmon. You know, Brian's an extremely talented player with just the most unbelievable short game. Mm-hmm. And I track all their stats. And Tell you the story about what you said to him, though, because I thought this was a good story. Well, you know, he, he, you know, and he mentioned this a couple of times, and, and uh, I looked at his, you know, 2021 short game stats is around the green where he was gaining 0.18 of a shot on, on the field. And without disrespectful to any other players of the PGA Tour, Brian's... But Brian's got one of the best short games I've ever seen, and I, you know, I pulled Brian aside and I said, "Look, I, I love what, everything you're doing, but you know, your short games, you know, it's a mess at the moment in terms of where what you're capable of." And, and he appreciated the honesty, and he's, you know, he, he went to work at it, and you know, we saw what he did in Austin, and you know, he's he's really been lighting it up recently. And it's, I, I didn't teach him anything about the short game. I pointed out that something in his game wasn't performing correctly, and mm-hmm. identified a a way for him to get better by working on the, on his game in a certain area. And I think that's, again, that's what we're, we're there for. I mean, you know, you teach a lot of players coming up, develop a lot of players. And I've, I've also, I've inherited some really good players at, at Sea Island. And, and, and they were great players, great pitchers, great chippers, great bunker players before I ever got anywhere near them. Mm-hmm. So maybe I've spotted one or two things, but I've certainly, I can't take credit for them being at that level. But what I can do is try and make recommendations as to how to either you know improve a little bit or maintain the level that they're currently on or where they mm-hmm. want to get to. And in Brian's case, it was just you know you got to get back on the short game area. Let's do some challenges. We introduced some new like little performance tests and things. But there's there's really been only one occasion I can think of where I had to ask him to do anything different to what he normally does. So you know that maybe puts me in a lucky position with him. Yeah, well, but you know, I think with every good player we have, there's a part of their game we're lucky with that we mm-hmm. don't have to mess with, yeah. right? Because by nature, like, I think that especially when you're lucky enough to teach tour players, I've yet to see a tour player, and this is also is another frustrating, like where guys say they went in and they rebuild a tour player. I mean, if you've gotten to the PJ Tour and you've kept your card, mm-hmm. you're good. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And to me, it's... Like it's the refining and it's the helping them understand and it's whatever. Like I, have you seen many guys you've inherited that were on the PGA Tour where you're like everything they do is bad and you got to no. re-overhaul? No, no. I mean it's you know they all do so many things very well and oftentimes I think it's the simple things, the things that you could talk about as being basic and fundamental 
that they've almost forgotten about. They've, they've almost gone to a point where they've, they've taken all of this information and they've tried to make the information the primary and they've kind of forgotten how to line up properly and they've forgotten where to put the golf ball in their stance and stuff like that. And people don't, you know, I talk to people about that sometimes and they go, no, it must be more, more complex than that. But, you it's know, not. as you get better at something, the thing that you're doing should get simpler rather than more complicated. So with these guys who are so good at it, you know, it's, it's maybe pointing out the simple things and perhaps they do a lot of the really complicated, you know, big muscular movements. They do a lot of the things that the amateur golfers can't quite do. So, and that's where, you know, again, further to some of the conversations we've had about, you know, some of the things that we do at the Golf Performance Center. And I know you do it down at uh, Frederica where we're, you know, looking at bigger movements and, and using trainers and using, mm-hmm. you know, using, you know, people that can really help us understand how the how the forces work on the ground and things like that. And I think that you know, for a lot of the amateur golfers are, are things that they can really get a head start with. Yeah. Well, I just think too that I was talking to a parent and a high school player a couple weeks ago, and I said, you know, he asked the, the parent asked the difference I see, and I said, like to me, if you look at like a small to mid level college, you're at a small to mid level college tournament, then you go to like the SEC championships that were at Sea Island. And then you went to a corn fairy event, and then you went to a PGA Tour event. That, like, in every one of those, you'd have a bunch of guys that me and you could spot and say, man, this guy's pretty good, mm-hmm. right? He could really play. But to me, each level you go up seems like there's more attention to small detail. Mm-hmm. Like, where I really notice it is, like, small college to big college. You see some kids that have enormous talent, mm-hmm. and you can watch it, and especially, like, as we pay attention to speed nowadays. And you're like, man, this kid could be good. Why is he playing it? X. Yep. But then you stand there and you watch him hit balls for 20 minutes. You're like, well, he's got zero clue how to set up the same way every yep. time. So the days he does it good, he's really good. The yep. days he sucks, he sucks. And then you go to, like, I stand there watching some at the SEC. Well, all those kids are pretty close to doing what they need to do. And to me, it's the same way Corn Ferry to PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I think, you know, I think you're right. I think the rep, the repetition, the ability to repeat. But again, that's going into your pattern and being able to manage your pattern and be able to then repeat something over and over again. I mean, Harris English, who's had a real great run and I'm, I'm thrilled to have been part of it. You know, it was really about getting him a, an alignment routine again where he can kind of trust what he's, where he's aiming and what he's aiming at. Start to trust that the shot that he wants to hit is going to come out of the barrel because if he doesn't, if he doesn't trust what he's doing over the golf ball, then our job is becoming really complicated. And then giving him a couple of swing keys that you know that he can run mm-hmm. with, and that you know the beauty about someone like Harris, and we've seen him on television, like chewing his gum, and he's walking around there in that beautiful rhythm, and the rhythm of his golf swing is that once he gets comfortable with what he's doing, he can repeat it, mm-hmm. and that's you know I think that's a skill certainly that you know you and I have seen with the very very mm-hmm. best players where you know they end up going into this kind of it's not a robotic state because that suggests there's no feel to it, but there's a flow state where everything's repeating and those steps are repeating. And I mean, I've seen Lucas Glover's ball strike and you, you see where the way Lucas walks up to the golf ball, gets in position to hit it, you know, and he's, he's almost hit the shot three times before he's even ever hit it mm-hmm. because all the patterns and all the, the waggles mm-hmm. and all of the pre swing stuffs, you know, it's so ingrained with him. And that's why he's a, he's a fabulous ball striker. And I think that's why too, you know, I think about it, like one time we were, I was trying to change his foot, right foot position because it was tight. And we're trying to, trying to get him to turn, load right a little better. Right. But, I mean, he's tight, right? Yeah. He, it was just one of those weeks or two, mm-hmm. right? Had him toe his right foot out. Very little. Like, if you and I took a picture of you, hardly know. Yeah. Man, it totally screwed up his rhythm. Going to body. He played terrible. Right. Right? Now, shit, we're better off you not loading. Yeah. 
right? Or you got to come up with something else. And I mean, to me, that's the other part of what we do. Sometimes we pick things that are wrong Mm -hmm. and we have to say, you know what? Like, I was wrong on that one. Let's figure out another way to do it. I think that that's, you know, relative to, you know, listening to some of the things. Again, a couple of your recent podcasts and things I got about information. and, And there's a part of our job that's instinctive. And there's a part of our job that comes from experience, watching players hit whatever millions of golf balls through the certainly the last 25 years I've been kind of mm-hmm. doing this. You've been doing it, I'm sure, a similar, if not about longer. The same, about the same life. So if we're talking about watching people hit millions of golf I'm balls. I'm just older and better you know, looking. I will never forget. I was fortunate enough to, to be at the Floridian for the pro member one year. And then I was flying back to Dubai. And Butch Harmon gave me a lift from Stuart on just where the Floridian is to Orlando, which is like three and a half hours. So I had Butch Harmon in a car for, for three, three and a half, half hours. It was amazing. And Butch had been enjoying himself with the members that weekend, so I'm sure the last thing he needed was me asking him a bunch of questions. But I said to Butch, I said, what is it like you see when you see a player and you're you know, you you're trying to figure out what direction to go? And he said, well, JP, he said, you know, it's a little bit like a, you know, like those old cartoons where you click cards and you can see the cartoons? He said, in my brain, I've seen this before and I've got to go back to where I've seen it because I know I've probably fixed it. And then he goes to that place and he said, it's not as quite as clear as that, but something like that is happening. And to me, that's recall and experience. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing like you and I are seeing a lot of players, you know, through our junior careers and working through, you know, different golf schools in Ireland for me. And then in Dubai, we're a lot of clients coming of through. You're seeing a lot of golf swings. And sometimes I really love, you know, just standing back on the range at Sea Island, just watching golfers and thinking, right, what would I do to that? What would I do to this? What would I do to that? Because I think that's your brain's way of keep, keeping on going mm-hmm. with it. And I think it's, that's where it's important for us to keep teaching. You know, and, and that's where I'm, you know, always think it'd be hard having one client, like one superstar client, and not teaching a couple of 10 handicappers, a couple of five handicappers, because it keeps you keeps your fresh. Yeah, agree. I think one of the things I enjoy, there's guys that only teach four or five tour players, and they're, and I mean, they're awesome. They're great teachers. I still really enjoy, I enjoy the challenge of trying to help the members that I'll teach at Frederico or the juniors and the college players that come see me. I like the variety. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is I'm probably just ADD, and it helps me. Uh, but also, I like. I think sometimes I've taught an eight or a ten handicapper and got him to do something, and thought, "Hell, that's going to help." Yep. So and so, like, because I know if this guy could kind of do it, so and so could do it. Yep. You know, and I agree. And I one of the things I had a, which is always mind-boggling to me now, we'll get some folks that want to come observe and watch, and I'm always like. You're going to be bored, right? This is just basic teaching golf. But I always tell Mike, I don't think that there's any substitute to learning to just teaching a shitload of golf. I think you you got to. I think that like instead of being worried about your Instagram and getting tour players and getting on lists and getting famous, you ought to first teach a whole bunch of golf and not care about all that and figure that out. I think that's the best learning curve. I, don't, I completely agree with you. I mean, you know, you know, quite a few young teachers have reached out to me and they've said, you know, what, what should I do? And I said, <laughs> you know, get a job where you see, you know, the, the 80-year-old lady who can't swing very fast to the, you know, the lad who's just out of college and he was a lacrosse player and he absolutely smashed it. He doesn't know where it's going to the junior who's got no strength to the guy who's been in his office chair for the last 40 years. And you'll realize that the postures, the strengths, the, the previous learning... All of the all of the histories of each of the players is, has such an impact on what you can do and what you can't do mm-hmm. with people. And you're never going to figure that out if you're 
you know, again, if you're you're at seminars and things, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but in terms of what are you going to have to do in order to become really good at teaching golf, it's like asking a tour player, well, what did you do to become really good at playing golf? Well, they play golf. Mm-hmm. They didn't study golf. They played golf. And that's what we need to do. You know, for the young teachers listening, you know, what I did, I mean, I, would, I was a, lucky enough to be at Blackwood Golf Centre in Northern Ireland outside of Bangor. And I... Uh, and I, um, I was I was running a book where I where I worked from a, a Monday morning early to a Saturday afternoon, and I would say I was given thirty minute lessons, which I don't even know how I would have thought thirty minute lessons were as valuable as I thought they were back then. But I was doing sixty, eighty golf lessons a week, <laughs> and I did that for three years. And I thought that when I look back on it, like it was hard at the time, but I look back on it and thought that was perfect. I saw every type of swing you'll ever want to see and you know that put me put a really good foundation in place Mm -hmm. my big break was hank johnson a great old-time teacher hired me to teach at his golf school in sandestin florida beach resort Mm -hmm. right and i had taught for a year or two and um but like i had this stream of resort guests coming in of all skill levels Mm -hmm. and i might see them once or twice and then you know they were gone but i had to learn Right, and if you messed them up, I mean, like I hate to say it, but it kind of wasn't the end of the world. No. And then, from a business perspective, by sheer happenstance, I came up with the idea to sell this package where I taught them for three lessons and I took them to play nine holes. Right. Because it built more hours, right? Mm-hmm. But they liked the idea of on the golf course. But that's where it was huge for me for what I do now because it was like, well, hell, I go on the golf course; they don't do anything that they do. Nothing. Right? Yeah. And, and, and I actually, that's kind of was where I started, I think, getting better. And I started getting people that would follow me and come back and see me because, like, I would actually could take them on the golf course and be like, well, I mean, we did this stuff on the range, but here's what you got to do to play better. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, that's, this may be a, a topic for another time, but, you know, the, you know, the functionality and the actual transference of where we have players and where we take players you know, some of the stuff that I think that we've probably done is is not as relevant as it should be to the act of playing golf. Mm-hmm. And I know that's something I've kind of struggled with, you know, and, and I've kind of thought, look, does the golf shot make the golf swing or does the golf swing make the golf shot? Many times I, I think that it should be the former. The golf shot that you're hitting should create the golf swing that you want to make. But that's maybe a chat for another time. Yeah, but that's the opposite of what most people do. Correct. Agree. Yeah. At all levels. I mean, you know, when you stand there and you try and make these perfect swings from a mat on a level lie with a golf ball that you've got, you know, you've got 80 other golf balls in front of you and then all of a sudden you go on the, you know, the first fairway and you're on a downslope and a divot downwind. It doesn't, you know, it's got nothing to do do with what what you you just just did. You talked about big picture, you know, and that's another thing that I, like I had a conversation with Brandon Hagee today and he asked a question and I said, well, Here's the answer to it. It was like, why do I struggle drawing the ball? And I said, well, I think videoed him. And I said, it's because you lose your posture coming in. Your butt comes in and you hit a bunch. You heal it instead of hit a good draw. Right. And I said, but I've known that. But, like, you're not ready to try to add one more thing to the program. Mm -hmm. Because you played good. Your fades are great. And if you do a little of that trying to hit a fade, you just hit a little bit of a push fade. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. And I said, you know, he's like, well, at least I understand it. And I was like, well, I don't want you to think I don't know what causes it. But I think sometimes it's important to lay out to a player where you're trying to go. 
Yes. Because I think they need to know. But I also think it's important for what we do to also be firm and like, I mean, sometimes they're not at a point where they need the second part of the equation. No. And they don't always, they don't need it to win. Well, it's funny. I remember listening to a podcast back in Dubai. It was from some Scottish guys and they had a, they had some players on and it was, they were talking about guys who'd won on the European tour. They were unable to hit the golf ball both directions. They were only, the, the week that they won, they were left with one option. And the reason why they won was they only had one option. So they were able to go to a shape or go to a flight and that was it. You know, it's a, that's a difficult that's a difficult thing to manage, to your point. I think, you know, a player wanting to be able to do something different and or better and then being told, well, you know, you're not ready to do that can be frustrating for a player. But at the same time, they're hiring us to help inform them as to where they are physically mm-hmm. and technically so that they can play their best golf. So, you know, it's 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 always a challenge. You know, we've talked, you know, this week we've, we've We've talked about you know being hired and fired and <laughs> trying to get uh, you know get get through all of those little things and being frustrated that we didn't do better jobs and stuff like that. But you know I think I think, uh, I think I, you know I feel okay about it because you know I know that I'm going to the ends of the earth to try and help people and I know that I know that you are too and um, you know I know the guys that you know all the guys you have on on the on the podcast and things are, are doing the same thing. But I think the thing you said something too. You've said a few things to me that I write down. One of them, you know, like, yeah, yeah, actually, I write stuff down. I'm getting old. But, you know, where you, like, no matter how good we are, or we think we are, or people think we are, if a player's not listening, Mm -hmm. then we're really wasting our time. Yeah. And I think that players and teachers get to that point sometimes. Yeah. And as much as we like the guy, if they're not listening, Mm -hmm. then it's a waste of our time, and I could go help somebody else that's willing to embrace what I have to say and try. And it's a waste of their time and it's it's probably, you know, it's a waste of their investment. And, you know, that's, you know, that's really where, you know, we've talked about this week, you need to be, you know, collectively strong from the player and the coach's perspective mm-hmm. and just say, look, this ain't quite clicking here. Let's, uh, let's move on. And, you know, I'm sure there's, there's been times for you and there's going to be more times ahead for both of us. No, for sure. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll we survive. hate those calls, but we yeah. get through it. I think, too, the other thing that I've found through a couple of them is it kind of makes you reevaluate who you are and what you do. Mm-hmm. And there's been times it's made me question, like, am I any good? Mm-hmm. But then there's also been, like, in this time it reaffirmed, I was like, you know what? Like, I like what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get better at doing what I do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's but I think that comes from just growing yourself and pushing yourself. And I think that's right. And I think it's like, for me, like, since moving to the States... You know, Michael Thompson won a golf tournament mm-hmm. for the first time in a few years. Harris has had this great run. You know, Brian's been playing great. Good. You know, and, and I and I, I Patton's had a big resurgence. Is it a resurgence? You know, but the fact is that Louis you know, still good. But, but all of us in life have these flows, ebbs and flows, and stuff. And so you you know you get to a point where you realize that the down bits are just as important as the up bits. Because mm-hmm. as you to your point, the down bits get you to reflect on. Like what am I do? What did I do right? What did I do wrong? What would I do different? What should I be doing better? And I think that's a really important part of the whole thing. So that, you know, I think you, sh- you know, we probably should be grateful for the fact. Number one, we have the opportunity in the first place. Number two, it's finished. Mm-hmm. And then number three, we're hopefully getting better as a result. Of right. Because if it was all up all the time, you probably wouldn't get better. No. And I think as much as we hate to admit it, it would get. You wouldn't appreciate mm-hmm. the good. No. 100%. You know, I mean, and it wouldn't be as fun as yeah. when a guy wins. 
and you know, it just w- it wouldn't be the same. And I think as well, I think it's humanizing to figure to, to understand that you know, in this act of dealing with all of these people, it's never going to be like it's never going to be perfect all the time. You know, what we do with them is not going to be perfect. You know, Butch always said to me, you you know, the number one thing you got to do is try not to mess them up. And number two, once you're finished, hopefully they're better than where they started. You know, and I think even in, in all, you know, all of my recent cases, you know, the cases that they're better than when, whenever I started right. with them, and that's that's what I hope for. And you know, you always want to you always want to see them go to the moon, but sometimes you just need to go, you know, a few yards forward. You know, there's also guy told me one time there's just people that aren't meant to go to the moon, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. every guy we see wants to play the PGA Tour or wants to be a Roy McIlroy or Tiger Woods, and I mean, I mean, we can't tell them that, but unfortunately, not everybody's. Going to be that great, right? Yeah. And and uh, but anyway, JP, awesome stuff. One continued success. You're kicking ass down there. It's Thank fun. You, I've enjoyed the opportunity. We've gotten to spend more time and hanging out, and yeah. I've enjoyed getting to know you better and better, and and watching what you do. And and it's fun. I enjoy it, it, buddy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Tour Coach with Tony Ruggiero. If you enjoyed this, make sure to hit subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. If you want to learn more about Tony, head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to. Maybe you want to see him, grab a lesson, or go to one of his camps, pick up his book, Lessons from the Legends. You can do that there. If you want to see Tony in action with some videos and other content, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Tony to get more info there. This episode was powered by the Golf Science Lab and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. We go into year two of the tour coach. It wouldn't be possible without the support of all our sponsors. And I've had some great ones. And one of the things that I'm most proud of in my career and in my business is the fact that all of my relationships here and all these sponsorships have been long time, long withstanding relationships, haven't jumped from sponsor to sponsor and manufacturer to manufacturer. And I've always prided ourselves in special relationships and when people work together, support each other. And we've all put out great products for the benefits of everybody else. So I want to give a special thanks to these folks that have been with me for such a long time. And that would be the folks at Shrixon, Cleveland Golf, and Zexio. Couldn't ask for a better manufacturer to be aligned with. And not only do they put out great product and great support, but they're first-class people. And they believe in what we're doing here on the Tour Coach and with the Dew Sweepers and also Vineyard Vines. Ian, Shep, TJ, and all the folks at Vineyard Vines hard to keep me looking good but they do a fantastic job and they're like family they support everything on the dew sweepers and we're so proud to be affiliated with and support the folks at vineyard vines so if you're out there you're listening to the tour coach please support our sponsors tricks on cleveland golf zexio as well as vineyard vines and keep listening and keep enjoying hanging out with us here on the tour coach